So, hello and welcome to the Pure Fit Podcast. Um, this is Owen. I'm joined by Gavin Miller. Um, Gavin's at the Pure Fitball Twitter account, which is at P-U-R-E-F-I-T-B-A-W. And I'm Owen. You can find me on Twitter at, at Owen James Brown. Um, tonight, we're having a bit of a Scotland uh, special. So, we've got a couple of things in our running order. First thing we're going to have a look at is um, Scotland strips, uh, kind of kits, uh, through the ages, maybe have a chat about what we like and don't like. Um, then we're going to have a little look at some fixtures um, for the senior women's team, a little bit of detail about what they've uh, just had as matches and, and um, their World Cup games. Uh, then I think Gavin and I are both going to pick our Scotland eleven for the upcoming matches against Kazakhstan and San Marino. And then finally we're going to have a little bit of a look at the under-17, under-19 and under-21 uh, squads who've all been announced. Um, the senior men's squad is still to be announced. That's tomorrow, although Al McGregor is uh, retired, so he, he won't be part of that. Um, but certainly we'll have a chat about the players and the fixtures and the, the, the unders teams. So I guess to start with, Gavin, do you have a kind of all-time favourite Scotland kit? Uh, yeah, I, I looked through a number of kits and there's some absolute mm. crackers out there. Um, but I opted for the, and this might be you know quite a boring answer, but I opted for the, the Euro 1996 uh, home kit. Okay. Um, and it was more That's... just... It was more the memories that came with it, so it's that sort of mm-hmm. blue, dark blue tartan style, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, just that was the first major tournament that I watched, you know, all the way through, and uh-huh. uh, and you know, I was lucky enough to see Scotland play at uh, two major tournaments in my lifetime. Um, <laughs> some people, you know, have obviously not seen any, so uh, for me to get ninety six and ninety eight uh, before we went on that drought, uh, I don't know if there's like a correlation between like. My unluckiness uh, and liking football and Scotland's downfall and and uh, <laughs> and major tournaments. So there's maybe something in there. Um, that's, that's a bit of a Gavin centric um, <laughs> kind of take. I think you know there's other things pointing to the fact that Scotland are just shite <laughs> and, and, and you're causing this. But um, seeing seeing terms of that kind of purple tartan kit that was worn at '96. Uh, I like the top, but I've got a problem with the kit. Um, so my my problem is I have a bit of a rule about single color strips. So by that I mean the same kind of color for the yeah. top, the shorts, and the socks. I don't like it unless the kit is all black or all white. Well, or like all a referee? <laughs> no, like you know, like a, there's quite a few, like PSG all black. Okay, uh, okay. You know, all that kind of stuff. So black or white or yellow or, or maybe some sort of fluorescent color. But I really hate it, um, particularly. If a team is kind of forced into it due to, uh, I suppose, color clash. So, like for instance, Scotland's current kit. Um, if if the other team's playing in say you know a, a similarish, um, uh, shorts and socks, and we end up having to have an all blue, um, top shorts and and socks. It happened to Rangers on Friday night against Hibs. That's true. Where their home kit is you know, and and I just think put on the away strip. I kind of feel this has been driven by TV. I think there was maybe the 2010 World Cup or something where they really had a, a, a real kind of desire for single colour block kits yep. on all the teams because they had some nonsense about new HD TVs and stuff and, and, and thought that was good for the viewer, but I hate it. So <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'm, I'm saying a big no to your uh, your Euro 96 kit, although the top itself is, was pretty nice. <laughs> I just seen there, it was um, that, that strip, you can, you can buy a replica of oh, it nice. for... 
for £35 from Greaves. Okay. I thought it was, you know, that's maybe worth investing in. Yeah. Is um, it one of those replicas, though, that's quite not, you know, it's it's like a sort of redone replica, so it doesn't have the kit maker and stuff on it? I mean, that's uh, okay, but you know what I mean? It, it does look straight up replica. Like it, do, it doesn't <laughs> okay. feel real, but uh, you know it's still it's mm. a really nice kit. When I when I was looking at these strips, it was I looked at you know a few, and I think mm-hmm. uh, just a couple of honourable mentions that mm-hmm. came. So that was my my number one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, an honourable mention. Uh, someone else actually commented. I think it was Mark Wallace on Twitter. Uh huh. Um, the Scotland yellow away kit from okay. nineteen ninety eight. Um, mm-hmm. just screams Colin Hendry. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm just picturing his face as soon as you mention that kit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, was that so? '98. That was obviously we were at the World Cup. Yep. Um, I, I, I rewatched those games not that long ago um, for a kind of bit of research and writing I was doing. So you know, watched the defeat to Morocco and, and all that kind of stuff. It was kind of painful, but um, yeah, that that kit does stand out in my mind. You're right. Um, I don't mind a quite bright yellow kit. Um, what what do you like about it? I think again, it feels these are all more memories rather than mm. actually the kit itself because the kit itself is quite honking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, and I feel like the use of the word honking is completely appropriate when describing Scottish things. Um, <laughs> so, or, yeah. or or Colin Henry's defending at times for Scotland. <laughs> yeah. um, Braveheart though. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's all that matters. He, he, he cared. He had passion. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Who cares about talent? Um, yeah, so I think when it came to this, and I did think it, it was the it was the Norway game we we played in the Euro uh-huh. Cup. Did mm-hmm. we play it in the Morocco game? I can't remember. No, no, it was the home kit for us in that game. Yeah, I remember Craig Burley and he's like three teeth um, yep. in that game against getting Norway. sent off. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And Tosh McKinley getting sat down, literally getting sat <laughs> down by a Morocco player before they scored. All sorts. Anyway, um, yeah, what, what what were you? You got some more memories yeah. about that just, time, and uh, just. I guess on 98, I think it was um, just a quick reflection on it was, you know, that feeling of when John Collins scored against Brazil. Oh, my God, yeah. man. That was that was literally, you know... Incredible. Well, we were obviously too young for it. You know, the we're going to win the World Cup stuff. That literally was that feeling. Obviously, like, you know, holy shit, we're actually beating uh, Brazil. The world um, champions. Yeah, and then and then Tom Boyd had to ruin it for everyone. So <laughs> I mean, we were, you know, I think having that moment was kind of that's that exceeded my expectations for that match. Right, you can the very fact we're still kind of talking about it almost twenty one years later is is nice, right? Yeah, um, oh, amazing. Do you uh, think is think it's fair to say that Tom Boyd cost us the World Cup, or is that a bit of a stretch? It's it's probably that. I mean, if there was anything he'd want to look back <laughs> on in his illustrious good quality career it's the fact that if it wasn't for him yeah we, we would have won the world cup absolutely <laughs> for sure um, any any other kits that we've had that you think would have been worthy of winning a world cup in uh worthy of winning a world cup in? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question um i think the the pink and yellow rosebery um that was horrific mm. um but I think that the feeling that I got. Um, so is that like? Was, do you mean that kind of twenty fourteen away? Is that? Yeah, that, that's yeah. it. Because uh, yeah. I think they'll try and bring that back soon. Because like the current kind of pink thing, um, they're kind of going for that. But I think they'll want to adjust it a wee bit, so they might try and do. And that's got kind of historic roots for Scotland, I guess. That that kind of style of kit. So I've got a feeling we might see that as an away kit again quite soon. Yeah, um, I mean. It, 
I think it's, it's definitely a distraction technique, that strip. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, what about so, some ones I liked, just to go through a couple of ones that I thought were good. Um, there's kind of mid-70s efforts that are from Umbro, with like a massive Scotland badge, and then the Umbro kind of logos all down the, the arms, and a really bold kind of 70s collar. I quite like those. If we were going to do a kind of retro one, that would maybe be a, a kind of way for Adidas to, to look at at the moment. Um, there's a early 80s red away with quite a thin stripe down it so it's red and then it's got kind of thin I guess navy stripe I oh, quite okay, like yeah. that one um, and uh, I think there was um, when I when I had a look at the kits today I know this is maybe cheating a wee bit but there was a 1996 Umbro goalkeeper one there was like turquoise and teal and blue hoops and it was really nice I think we should just <laughs> go for that as like an awake at that one it's great uh, yeah is uh, that that was that maybe the same kit, uh, so the goalkeeping strip that matched the the '96 away strip that was like oh, some yeah. sort of weird with asymmetrical that. lines yeah, that the, didn't make any sense? <laughs> surrealist kind of diagonal things going around the neck. <laughs> You're right. Maybe that was the keeper kit to go with that one. Aye. I I hope so. Let's, hmm. I'm, I say we really invest in the distraction technique if we can't. <laughs> If we can't, you know, use our te- our, our physical technique and skills, then let's go for yeah. what we can influence. So strips, like some sort of Scottish take on a Jorge Campos goalkeeper top, <laughs> but like you know, just thistle jags all over it or something, you know. But the Kingsley on it, yeah, absolutely. Can we borrow him thistle? Um, are there any any ones that you didn't like apart from those kind of weird pattern ones? Um, I guess I've I've found myself in this weird position where. To start with, when I was looking at the strips, I, I really, and it all felt really memory related. Like I was looking at the, was it the 2010, I want to say, the McFadden kit, mm-hmm. um, Pickett Outlander. Okay. Um, so I was looking at that and I was thinking that was really nice, but then I thought, who wants to pick a strip that you actually enjoy looking at? So I think when I was looking at all these ones, there's a lot more, you know, stinking ones like the 91, 93 strip. Uh-huh. Um, that's white and it's got this. It's almost the red like, and purple bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. It's, al- it's, it's almost like a scratch card. They've scratched away like part of it, and that's what's underneath it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was. Yeah, there's there's plenty of bad ones out there. Um, okay. Was there any that stood out for you? Oh, there's plenty. Um, I'm going to be <laughs> quite critical on this. Um, so the the Umbro um, 1990 World Cup one. I just thought. The, the top, the home top, it looks like a polo shirt. I'm just not having that. It's, it's boring. However, in saying that, the tracksuits from then are absolutely amazing. So, you know, they could maybe look to try and bring something of that back. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Was the tracks, was, yeah. it, was that the tracksuit that was like this really, it was like light blue and dark blue together? Is that? Uh, it was that like one? blues and yellows and, and kind of whites ah, going okay. on. And it's all like kind of, I guess it's sort of like the Umbro diamond, but it's kind of like angles and stuff across the top. Pretty, pretty good looking. Um, and then I found a 1957 uh, kit that was used in one match versus Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a navy top and orange shorts, and it is not a good look. So awesome. yeah, that was that was one of my favourite. I'd see the the like the kind of 1986 kit. It's um, so like around that period, the one with the hoop on the shorts. Um, uh-huh. I know that's a kind of classic kit and, and people love it and stuff and I do like the top but the hoop around the shorts it's just weird what 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 is that Who? what were they thinking you know the one I mean where it's got like this horizontal yeah. kind of hoop midway up the, the shorts that's that's really weird to me um, yeah so th- those were a bit troubling and I kind of felt most of the um, 
the Diodora and Fila ones recently were pretty boring. Um, yeah, the Diodora was probably the worst yeah. manufacturer, I think, in the Scotland kits. There was like a, a light blue change one by Diodora that I remember that was quite a nice colour. And it was a bit different to have blue as an away strip, um, but it was like enough different from navy that I thought it looked okay. But um, apart from that, yeah, they were both uh, pretty dull, pretty pretty kind of boring. So I, I guess the these kits that we're, we're, we're talking about, um, on the subject of it, you've seen the new women's kits. Mm. How do you feel about them? They're amazing. The- uh, I mean, not just the Scottish one, but... Like the Adidas and Nike ones that have just come out, they're they're all pretty incredible. Um, what what do you think of the Scotland ones? I guess first, I th- I thought they were stunning. Yeah. Um, really liked that. Um, really liked the pink one. I thought it was it was a really nice kit. Yeah. Um, they've got the the kind of colours and the kind of the look of them really really good. I think very good. Uh, I I think um, it was I seen someone on Twitter saying uh, it, it was I don't know if, I'm hoping it was a piss take, but someone saying. Uh, typical making the girls play in pink. All oh, right, and I was like, surely to Christ, this is a piss take. But then I wasn't sure, and I didn't want to get involved in that argument. I just felt like I'll probably end up getting banned from Twitter. <laughs> probably best so, to leave that alone. But yeah, yeah p- pink, uh, pink seems to be our kind of uh, we, you know, color choice at the moment, anyway. So fair enough. Um, and especially when it's a nice cat yeah. as well. I mean, I understand if it if it looked bad, then I. I Fair enough, you maybe have a point, but it's an actual really nice kit. Absolutely. Um, did you see like the Germany one for for the women? They oh my this. god, I actually think it's one of the, the best kits I've ever Definitely. seen. Definitely the Germany one. What well, have you seen the night ones that came out today? Uh, no, I'll have oh, a quick scan. Of them. So the France away, it's uh, white and it's got kind of polka dots on it, and the polka dots are on the the shorts as well. So the sock and the shorts look, look the same. It's pretty amazing, and there's other good night ones as well. I think the Brazil one looks really good. Um, so yeah, they're they're definitely ones to have a look. Oh for. my god, I just seen the France <laughs> one there. Oh my god, that's beautiful. Pretty great, yeah. So these are some of the best kits that I think have ever been made. Like some of these um, for international teams, at least. So incredible. Have a look at them uh, if you if you're listening and you're not seen them yet. Um, talking, I guess, of um, Scotland women's team. Um, we'll move on to have a quick look at that. So, um, you said that you might be going to the uh, at least a match at the yeah. Women's World Cup. Do you think? Gavin? Yeah, I, I I really want to. I think um, it's a it's a special opportunity. I think we've so we've like I said earlier, we've been lucky enough to see Scotland play at a major tournament. This is maybe you know a chance for people to to have a different. I know you know you can compare the the women's game to the men's game or whatever, but. I think to be at a World Cup with all these different uh, countries, people, the experience would just be incredible. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so not just the experience, but I mean, it will be some great football as well. Of course, um, of course. So the, the fixtures, just for people that are listening as well, um, it's in June uh, in France. Um, Scotland have England on the 9th of June in Nice, uh, Japan on the 14th of June in Rennes, and Argentina on the 19th of June in Paris. Um, there's 24 teams in the tournament uh, USA are the champions um, Scotland had uh, some friendlies earlier this month so they played in something called the Algarve Cup um, they lost to Canada had, had quite a heavy defeat to Iceland but then they beat Denmark in their last game there so um, you know um, preparations are ongoing and I, th- I think it's something that, that's really exciting I'm sure there'll be quite a lot of coverage um, on TV and things of the actual matches, but yeah, if, if any listeners are thinking of going, there's there's Gavin looking for somebody yeah. to go along with. I'm sure. 
You make it sound like I've got no friends. So no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I'm pure, only kidding. pure football outing, you know, you can uh, yeah, take a whole community I, along I, with you to, to that. How, how amazing would it be? Uh, and, uh, you know, the, that Algarve Cup, I, uh, I didn't see much of it, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, they beat Iceland 4-1. Um, no, no, it's the other way around. We lost Iceland 4-1, right? I'm sure. Uh, according to the internet, it's the other way about. So. Oh, well, that's brilliant. I, I <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, my apologies. That's fantastic. That's all, good, good result for Scotland. Then it's all good. Uh, and they lost. Uh, maybe what? So they played Iceland in January in a friendly and got beat off Iceland then. But then in the Algarve Cup they beat them. So maybe they, you've just seen that the wrong way around. Ah, yeah, um, I have. Okay, fantastic. Cool. So yeah, um, Arna uh, twice, Cuthbert and Little scores for Scotland. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. So better results than I'd uh, initially um, kind of thought from the Algarve Cup. So that's good. Um, any other detail you want to give about that, Gavin? I, I guess, you know what, uh, there's no point in, in lying and saying that I see loads of, of the women's game, but I've, it does feel like, you know, the the Scottish women, they're definitely on the on the up and they're performing well. Um, there's a lot of our players playing for the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, um, and obviously Glasgow City are a force in, in uh, women's football as well, so... Um, it's really good to see that these, you know, these players are are developing well, and I, I really hope that if, if I can't make it, I'm going to make a, you know, a real effort to try and, you know, watch as many games as I possibly can. And it seems like quite a few of the Scottish clubs, um, particularly maybe the ones that are affiliated with um, professional men's clubs, are now going professional themselves. So you know, Celtic women's team, the intention I think is to um, turn them professional next season. They have their own website as well, um, so not just a kind of hidden away aspect of the Celtic website. So these things are all um, kind of positive steps. If, if you are interested in women's football and perhaps looking at um, the analytical side, the stats of it, um, there's a writer, Mark Thompson, who, who does some articles sometimes for StatsBomb, um, looking at women's football, the, the league in England. Um, so that's one I've got data for that so he does some really good articles about that uh, give you some idea perhaps of some players to watch out for at the World Cup as well as the Scottish players um, yeah so um, let's move on now to talk about the Scotland men's uh, senior team and their matches later this month as well so got Kazakhstan and San Reno um, and we said that uh, as part of tonight's podcast we would each choose our starting 11 um, for those games, just one starting eleven. Um, we'll assume that everything goes so brilliantly with our choices. <laughs> why would you change your team from the first game to the to the next? Um, Gavin, do you, you want to go first and, and talk us through your your first eleven? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I felt like uh, a little bit like when I was doing this, I felt a bit like Claudio Ranieri. I made loads of changes <laughs> and then I couldn't sit. I couldn't settle on my the Scottish uh, tinker man. Is that you? Yeah. I was. As the Scottish Tinkerman, I'm sure that's maybe some sort of insult in like the north of Scotland, a Tinkerman. Um, don't know why I just said that. It's done now, though. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I opted for Scott Bain in goals. Okay. Uh, I feel like um, obviously with the McGregor news, it makes complete sense mm-hmm. for Bain to be uh, number one. Um, Andy Robertson uh, at left back. Okay. The only reason. Um, I think Tierney maybe deserves a little bit of a break. Okay. Um, he's played a, a lot of minutes, mm-hmm. um, and we should hopefully have enough uh, to get by the next two opponents. Okay. Um, hopefully, um, I opted for a, a partnership in McKenna and Bates mm-hmm. at the back. Okay. Um, I liked I like the look of them together. Mm-hmm. Um, 
They're both super physical, um, really good in the air, um, will offer us a threat from set pieces because I think overall our, our team's quite small. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those two are important for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved on to Stephen O'Donnell at right back. Uh, it's a position that we are quite thin on the ground, um, but I, I don't want to particularly force players in, into different positions. Mm-hmm. Um and I think O'Donnell offering offer us, you know, uh, the width down the right hand side is better than someone having to, to cut in where it's likely to be congested. Okay. Um so sorry, I actually should have said I opted for a, a four two three one uh, formation as well. So um in in terms of the, the centre mids, uh, these are the positions that I maybe made the most mm-hmm. changes. Okay. Uh I opted to bring in Scott McTominay. Wow. Uh, I thought he's his performance against PSG was outstanding. Okay. Um, and I feel like maybe this is the sort of thing that these games uh, will help, you know, boost his um, profile at Man U as well. I'm not saying in terms of beating Kazakhstan or San Marino or whatever, but just starting in these sort of games, or at least will help, you know, someone maybe look at him for a loan move for next year to get more minutes under sure. his belt. But, but I thought uh, get McTominay in there. Um, and I also opted for John Fleck. Um, which is completely different, um, but but again, I think I said to you off air. Um, these are the games where I feel like we should try a little bit of experimenting, um, but we also have to make sure that we um, get maximum points, and that's where I think in terms of Fleck, I feel like he's there's been a lot of plaudits about his performance in the championship. He's a you know one of the first names on the team sheet for Sheffield United who are pushing for promotion into the the Premiership. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's it'd be good to see him get a chance. Okay. Um, but but the experience uh, then comes from the the three guys in front. I went for Forrest, Armstrong, and Fraser um, to to maybe give that bit more of an experienced look about the team. Um, they've they've all played you know a lot of games for the the national side. Fraser's playing it out his skin for Bournemouth just now. Um, and uh, Armstrong was a game changer for Southampton at the weekend when he came on. Um, and then up front, uh, I opted for Ollie McBurney with the news that uh, Stephen Fletcher is going to be out. So that that's how my team looked. Sure. Um, shall I go through mine and then we can maybe yep. kind of uh, sling some insults at each other and uh, okay. you know, <laughs> decide who's actually right. Um, go so for it. I went for Bain and goals as well. I also went for Robertson at left back and McKenna and Bates at centre back. Um, however, I decided that I would try and shoehorn Kieran Tierney in at right back. Um, totally, yeah. Um, but we'll come back to that. Um, in central midfield, I have gone for Cal McGregor and John McGinn, and then ahead of them as a three, I've gone for Ryan Fraser on the left, uh, Christie through the middle, and James Forrest on the right. And then same as you, I've gone for Ollie McBurney up front. Um, for for people listening, um. Just to touch on McBurney first, I guess, seeing as we both picked him. Um, obviously, Stephen Naismith's out. Stephen Fletcher, who, who played in the last couple of games, is out as well. Um, don't have you know Lee Griffiths, for instance. Um, kind of options other than that might be Oliver Burke or Eamon Brophy. Um, Burke, I would rather see coming on later. Wide on the right. Um, don't really think he's a, a nine. Um, Ollie McBurney can do some of the functional stuff that Fletcher can as well I think in terms of linking up and helping Fraser and Forrest and Christie go past them 
he's got 16 goals in 33 games in the Championship in England this season. And since the start of 2019, he's got eight goals in eight league games. So pr- pretty impressive. Yeah. I think we've uh, both made a good choice there. Um, yep. Should we talk midfield, I guess? That's maybe where we kind of differ the most. Yeah, yeah so so I guess the, the two centre mid positions, the reason that I didn't go for um, McGinn and McGregor is that they're both injured just now. So I just mm. thought maybe these players deserved a bit of a break, played a lot of minutes. Um, we, we know that they're going to get, they're probably are starting to, so I, I, I'm just opted for that little bit of experimentation. If these were the games against uh, Belgium or Russia, I'd be in the exact same, I'd be having the same two as you. Okay. Without, uh, without. So Fair this is more about the opposition opposed to... Sure. Despite the fact that you came up with a hashtag nine or nothing a couple of podcasts <laughs> episodes ago where, where you said that there's there's no excuses, nothing um, other than, than nine points would be acceptable if, from, from these two games and then Cyprus. If we can't get... Um, at Cyprus, I would maybe adjust, but these next two games, um, if we can't get by Kazakhstan and San Marino with Scott McTominay from Man U and John Fleck from Sheffield United, we're in a lot of bother. Okay, fair, um, fair enough. Um, I think um, McGinn was back on the bench at a weekend, so he should hopefully be available. But you know, I, I take your point if you want to look at some other options, and I think McGregor is, from my understanding, he's um, due back very, very soon. So I, I would hope that he's. Um, and he's been so so good, and he offers us something that's I think different to what most of our other midfielders can. So I I would expect him to be in the squad tomorrow. But uh, yeah. yeah, I take your point. Um, and in defence we were, were pretty similar. But um, yeah, O'Donnell. Um, I'm not. Um, I don't know if if I've um been as impressed by him this season. Um, but certainly, I get your point about playing an actual right back. Um, yeah, um, I just I don't want to kind of I, I want Tierney in the team. I want Robertson yes. in the team, and I don't want to play uh, like three at the back with Tierney as a, a centre back. I don't think that suits us or him. Um, yeah. and I don't want to um, have either of them further forward than left back. They are full backs, and you certainly wouldn't want to take Ryan Fraser out of uh, attacking no. left midfield. So. Um, yeah, that's my way of kind of shoehorning them, but not too much, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. I guess just a couple of quick listener questions yep. that came in. Um, Scott Johnson asked, who would you call up uh, to replace Fletcher in the Scotland squad? You mentioned Barker Brophy. Is there any other names that you can think of that would... Would maybe get that space? Well, definitely not Stephen Doby, who's um, <laughs> <laughs> after all the, the the crazy shouts from before. He's now in a bit of a slump, right? I think it's five games without a goal or something. Still had an incredible season, but it's a no um, from, <laughs> from me to him. Um, oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Given um, the kind of lack of options, maybe Matt Phillips can come back in. Um, you know, I think he's. When called upon, uh, he's done reasonably well, uh, and he gives some versatility in terms of you know other other ways he can play in uh, other positions. Yeah, you're you're right. We really are struggling for actual out and out strikers. We've got loads of these sort of fake strikers like Johnny Russell, um, even I guess Naismith as well isn't an out and out striker. So mm. um, people like Tom Kearney, attacking midfielders. Um, there's not there's not a huge amount of options. Yeah, to be honest, um, I I don't know. So yeah, the the options are limited there. Let's pray for no further injuries and uh, no more retirements. <laughs> <For now. laughs> um, what and for I you? Is there any any 
forwards that you would think of that you'd want in or anybody else that is a bit out of the ordinary that you think deserves a call up at least so so what one pl- one player out of the ordinary that I'd like to see in the squad um and it's it's in our position of strength actually but it's uh, Kenny McLean he's recently just broke back into the Norwich team after a long-term injury he okay. scored a couple of goals recently um He's an attacking midfielder. And again, this is more just about who the opposition is. So if it was a different opposition, I'd like to us to be a bit more steady. But I feel like this is the opportunity to experiment. Mm. Um, and the fact I think that you'll he's find that's well, what friendlies are for. But carry on. <laughs> so, I, again, I'm going back to my point of if these players can't do it against Kazakhstan, San Manu, then there's something categorically wrong. Um, okay, well, I think, I think I, you'd I, be I a guess, very brave manager to take that sort of position in terms of your squad selection and, and uh, team selection but yeah okay if, if, if you want to potentially miss out on qualification for, for um, a bit I mean, of experimentation then okay I, I mean I, I think you know these players should be good enough sure. and I'll, I'll leave it at that because I, I, I get the point you're making too to be fair um, I guess one one final yeah, yeah. note obviously you mentioned at the, at the start on the national team uh, Alan McGregor mm. has announced his retirement Um James McFadden came out and said that uh, Alex McLeish tried to talk him out of it, uh, but McGregor's decided uh, that his body um, needs the rest between uh, between you know club yep. games. Um, I guess from the numbers, w- when I think back to your you know some of the goalkeeper stats that you you presented earlier, um, you could see that he wasn't maybe performing as well um, as people think. Um, yeah. So maybe it is best for him to have these breaks. I think it looked like there were maybe you know it, it it was maybe some positioning errors. Obviously a brilliant keeper and you know absolute legend for club and for country. But um, I think it's the right move for him. You have to prioritize that age. Um, and yeah, fair enough. We should be thanking him for um, you know, all the amazing performances he's made for Scotland and the great saves and stuff and try not to remember him for a moment such as when he was uh, sticking the fingers up from the bench and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, pr- probably, I-, I would say the right decision for him, just the timing, um, maybe if it had been, it's the day before the squad announcement, I get that he's saying that he thinks it's good to make a break when it's the start of a campaign, but a little bit more notice. When I heard it initially, the announcement today, I thought maybe he's been told that he wasn't going to be the number one uh, and that's why he's kind of thought, well, I might as well just retire at this point. But you know, I've been told by by people that McLeish said otherwise in an interview um, that he was going to be the number one. So anyway, um, it, it seems a little bit uh, not not the best timing, I guess, um, but probably the right decision for McGregor in terms of extending his own career and performing as as, as well as he can. Yeah. So, uh, on the off the news of um, Al McGregor uh, retiring, I put out a poll um, on Twitter. Uh, it's between Xander Clark, Liam Kelly, Jordan Archer, or any others. Um, Xander Clark's currently leading that with forty five percent of four hundred and thirty eight okay. votes. So, um, and then Liam Kelly on thirty seven percent. How would you look at that one? Uh, those two. Yeah, I mean, um, to t- be comfortable with either of them being the squad. I think they've both done. Um, reasonably well this season. Um, I think for now, probably Bain should be the first choice. He, he's performed yeah, pretty brilliantly for Celtic since he's come in. So yeah, but I, I would be okay with either of those two as um, you know, third goalkeeper or whatever in the squad. What about you? You feel the same? Yeah, I think so. I think it for me, it's 
it's probably Bain number one, McLaughlin, uh, McLaughlin number two from Sunderland. He's got that bit more experience. Um, and then I'd probably look at uh, either of those. Again, I'm comfortable with both fairly young keepers that will hit their prime in the next couple of years. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, totally cool. cool with that. Just finally, before um, we move on to the kind of under section, um, I wanted to say hello to a listener, uh, to Carlos Quiroz, who um, has named Alfredo Morelos, I guess, based on our discussion of Morelos last week in the <laughs> podcast um, in his, his first squad, uh, Carlos Quiroz's first selection um, as Colombia manager for their friendlies against Japan and South Korea um, later this month. So it's really great for Morelos to get another call up, obviously great for Rangers and he's recently um, signed a, another extension to his contract. He must have some hell of an agent because that's like the third contract he signed at Rangers, I guess. But anyway, I guess um, there, there, are, there are reasons for Rangers to do these things and, and all credit to Morelos for getting um, another call-up to, to the national um, squad. It's really good news. Yeah, I think it only adds value to, to yeah. him. Um, and I think uh, there was pictures at, at the weekend of, I think it was Freddie Bobic of Frankfurt, um, he's their sporting director at the the game at Easter Road. He so, was probably there to watch um, Glenn Kamara, to be fair, as as everybody <laughs> should be if they're at that game. Um, but check my my Twitter timeline if if you've not seen my my tweet yet of uh, a stats bomb. Glenn Kamara radar is after just three uh, games of data, but it's it's pretty pretty remarkable uh, viewing. But yeah, you, you reckon that. Um, Bobic was there uh, to to see about Morelos for for next season potentially. Uh, yeah, well, there was rumours that... Uh, so they've got an option to make Luka Jovic's loan deal from Benfica permanent okay. for for $7 million. And then million. sell him for about uh, seventy to Barcelona or something. Yeah, Something okay. stupid like that. I could I could even see Bayern yeah, Munich quite paying possibly. the money for Jovic. Yeah. Um, so I could see them selling Jovic and then just reinvesting in Morelos. Okay, great. Um, so the, the last week's episode was Leverage Monaco to fuck, but perhaps it should have been... Lever- Lever- Leverage Frankfurt. Yes, Leverage Frankfurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, um, are we. Yeah, so just, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say just before we get into the, the mm. next section around about the the Scottish youth yep. teams, um, one sort of. You don't have to go into any great detail, but there was a question that came in from uh, which I think is a fantastic Twitter handle uh, Ham6Mohawk. <laughs> uh, Ryan Doherty67 asked, um, How would you compare. Scotland squad to Wales or Ireland just in a rough you don't have to go into a huge amount of detail Uh, well um, so I I think what um, this tribute to one of the worst football and haircuts of all time is asking (laughs) is um, based on the kind of uh, playing minutes that our unders players have had for their clubs at a kind of senior level would we say we're, we're kind of looking better or worse than Ireland or Wales? Was that your kind of take on what the question meant? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I guess, firstly, I should say I can't really answer that because I'm not going to go and look at how many minutes all the Irish and Wales um, players have had for their clubs. Um, that That's maybe something for somebody else to do. Um, so I, I can't give an exact answer to that. I guess what I would say as well is that Potentially, you could say that's the wrong question um, because if you're asking, are we better or worse than Ireland or Wales? Well, what if Wales and Ireland were really bad and although we were better, that was still quite bad? So you'd want to understand the detail a bit more. And and also, um, what's good and what's bad? Um, So how many minutes do you be wanting a particular age range to have? Um, 
you know, at senior club level in order to be developing well. I mean, you would assume that a good amount of minutes um, would be a good thing, but what, what would be a good amount of minutes? You know, obviously people develop through playing, but you wouldn't necessarily want, um, you know, a 16-year-old kid playing a full season um, with, you know, a, a senior club team. It might be damaging in some ways. So it's, it's, a, it's a good question potentially the wrong question potentially very difficult to um answer you, you definitely we can all perhaps consider what we might be good what might be good um and, and how you kind of manage these things um so I, I guess i would say i don't really know but um it, it does look as though perhaps um some of our players particularly once they get to the under 21s it's quite mixed there, there's some that are getting a good amount of um senior club football but some that aren't necessarily getting the level that I would want for them. Um, so you kind of have to look maybe on an individual basis rather than just saying, um, are we better or worse than Ireland or Wales? Um, and and you know look at what an individual player of ours is getting and then maybe say, is that the right amount for them on their kind of development curve? I get that's a, that's a really fair point. I think it's it's as hard to judge. But one thing that I'll do is a super hot take. Mm, go for um, it. So I've had a, a really quick scan at Wales's under twenty ones. Okay. And bit and uh, so they've got under twenty ones players playing for Ashton United, who I don't even know what division they're in. Uh, Barrow, uh, Torquay, and Newport County. So on that basis, oh, and Barry Barry Town as well. On that basis of no knowledge whatsoever around any of these players. Okay. Uh, our under twenty ones will win the under twenty ones World Cup before Wales do. Brilliant. They probably had loads of minutes in the Ironbrook Cup though, all these Welsh. <laughs> exactly. More minutes than any of Scotland under twenty ones. Yep. <laughs> so so um, talk talking of the kind of squads and stuff, do, should we have a run through what fixtures are coming up for them? Sure, we'll start with the twenty ones. Yeah, so the twenty ones have just got um, friendlies. Uh, they're in Spain, uh, Mexico on the twenty second of March and Sweden on the twenty fifth of March. Um, Scott Gemmell was the manager squad was announced last week um, then the under 19s um, so their fixtures they're in the elite round of qualifying for the Euros um, for their age group the Euros take place in Armenia later this year um, and the under 19s games are in Portugal and they've got um, it's, it's um, Turkey first then Cyprus and then Portugal uh, Billy Stark's the manager for that group and then the under-17s, um, they are also an elite round for qualifying for their level of the Euros. Uh, those take place in, well, the, the Euros themselves take place in Ireland uh, late, later this uh, year. But the qualifying matches are in Scotland. Um, so we've got Portugal on the 20th of March. That's at St Mirren's ground. Uh, I can't remember whatever sponsor they're affiliated with that <laughs> gives them the ridiculous... Uh, name it's not the spaghetti had or, or the Tony Macaroni. I think it's but... simply digital. I, yeah, I want to say that. that. Okay, and then on the twenty third of March it's Russia again at St Mirren's Ground, and then the twenty sixth of March it's Poland at um, Part of Thistle's Ground. Um, so all, all pretty local to Glasgow and Paisley for for those games. Uh, what would you feel about those matches? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess I. I... So I was looking through it. Um, the nineteens, the obviously, they've got a tough task having to mm. play Portugal uh, in Portugal. Yeah. Um, the setup for that seems quite weird for the qualifiers for that. Um, I, I, if I, as a sort of rough version of what happens is like the highest seeded team yeah. gets to play all their games at home, yep. which I think is 
ridiculous. <laughs> it seems um, like UEFA might want good teams at their tournament for some reason. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, you're right. It's strange. Um, so I didn't, I didn't particularly like that. So that'll be a really tough task for mm. them. But what I did like about the 19s, and we'll maybe get into this a bit, but was the squad itself. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good players in that squad that have played first team minutes at, you know, a good, a lot of good clubs and. Um, you know, people like Harry Cochran, mm-hmm. uh, Ewan Henderson's recently broke into Celtic. Mm-hmm. You've got Glenn Middleton, who's been at Rangers. So those three have all played at, um, you know, a good level. And mm-hmm. and we're talking about that's the 19s team. And then yes. there's uh, Bill, Billy Gilmore dropped down to the 19s as well. Yeah. Um, which I think is good. He'd, he'd been uh, quite a mainstay in the 21s, actually. Um, so to see him go down, it, I guess it shows how serious that Scotland are taking um, qualification for that tournament yeah i mean also he, he's just 17 so maybe it's more appropriate to have him True. Uh, in that age group just now um i agree with you there's some quite exciting things in that squad there's um robbie diaz center back um who you've kind of seen in person yep. and, and really liked um yep he's uh with celtic that's his his parent club um like you said the midfield looks pretty good so harry cochran of hearts hasn't played a lot of league minutes this season but but certainly you know he has in the past and Ewan Henderson um, breaking through right now um, Billy Gilmore I mean he was in the team of the tournament at Toulon last summer for the under 21s um, he's clearly got a hell of a lot of potential so be really good to see him kind of in, in, in front of or in that midfield and then yeah, yeah there's Glenn Middleton and, and Dapo Mabud from, from Rangers who are both pretty exciting up front um, so yeah I'm quite looking forward to um, seeing how they get on. Not not a bad looking squad at all. Yep, I think you're absolutely spot on there. I find it quite interesting actually that it was the the strikers, so the strikers for the Scotland 19s was Stephen Kelly Rangers, yep. uh, Dapo from Rangers, yep. Glenn Middleton from Rangers and Zach Rudden from Rangers. I guess maybe Rangers are finally getting something out of uh, um, Murray Park. Um, I know it's not called that anymore. Auchin Howie, sorry, before I upset everyone by referring to David Murray. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was. I guess that was a good squad. Um, and I don't think Kelly's a striker either. But um, anyway, that, that's that's um, a definitely a good clutch of players for for Rangers there. Absolutely. Um, have you got a take on any of the under seventeen players at all? Uh, I can't say that I've seen a whole lot of these players. If if I'm being completely honest, I I seen Kai Kennedy when Rangers played. Uh, Roma in that crazy tournament, uh, yep. the Aspire tournament, yep. um, and he looked he looked yeah, pretty he good. Um, looked a, a real live wire. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Sunny Blue Low Everton based on his name and nothing yeah. else. So um, Sunny Blue Low Everton that plays for Watford. Um, I've I've actually seen uh, some clips of him. Um, so he's I've I've got some detail about a few of the under seventeen players, and I'm definitely cool. going to go along to. Uh, some of those games I'm quite excited by the attacking potential in particular of the team but we'll kind of start from the back um, because we have a goalkeeper Kieran Slicker who plays for Manchester City um, who looks really promising but there's a hugely congested um, underage goalkeeping situation at Manchester City with as you can imagine really high level talent um, kind of in the you know under 17 and under 18 and so on age group so be interesting to see how he progresses on a, a club front, but certainly somebody to look out for in these games if he plays. Um, another person from Man City, I guess, that's worth mentioning who's not actually in the squad 
is Luis Fiorini, who um, is a really, really promising talent, um, but he's unfortunately got an ankle injury at the moment. Um, it, it would be really nice if Scotland could qualify and maybe he'll be back in time for the actual tournament itself. Uh, I don't know the extent of the injury, but um, he's somebody that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited by him. Um, also in midfield, there's a guy called Michael Craig, um, plays for Spurs. He's actually a twin, uh, and his twin brother is also a midfielder at Spurs. Um, but his brother is not in the squad at the moment. I think there's maybe a kind of little tug of war with England situation over uh, one or maybe both of those. It would be pretty amazing if both went on to maybe play for the senior team for opposing. Yeah, that'd be but awesome. Imagine if one was at England, one was Scotland. That, that would be um, pretty incredible. Anyway, they're, they're both midfielders and I, I think they're highly promising and it's Michael that's in the squad at the moment. Um, so Sonny Blulow Everton, who plays for Watford, he's kind of a 10. He's two-footed. Um, he's good at free kicks. Um, if you have a look on Twitter, there's some footage of like a FA Youth Cup uh, game where he, he had a really good free kick goal, um, but I think he looks like he'll be um, a really exciting talent to watch. Um, and then, as you mentioned, there's Kai Kennedy of Rangers, who, similarly, I've, I've not actually seen much in terms of in person, um, but certainly seen some video stuff, and he looks really exciting. And there's a kid called Thomas Dixon Peters at Norwich, another striker, who um, I tweeted a video today of uh, a goal he scored in a, a youth match that was a really uh, special strike. So again, he's somebody that maybe don't necessarily know a lot about, but um, certainly excited to see. And, and it looks like there's a fair bit of attacking talent in that team. So I guess, yeah, that'd be good to look forward to. I guess the the big takeaway from me there, when you're you know you're speaking about those players, you've got a kid at Man City, a kid at Spurs, a kid at Watford. These are all you know yep. clubs that you know will have a pick of yep, any exactly. young talent that they want effectively. Um, yep. Especially you know Man City and Spurs. Um, so the fact that th- we've got Scotland kids over there, to, you know, at these teams, I think that's got to be a, a sign of encouragement. Um, it's very encouraging. I mean, it's it's very difficult to kind of uh, be sure of who will develop to a, a high level from that age group. You know, things can can happen, but you would imagine that as time goes on, um, the kind of develop de- developmental pathways and the kind of coaching and, and training and, and guidance that these kids are getting at these elite clubs is even better and better so hopefully that leads to good results for for the individuals whatever that may be but for us you know for for scotland be great yep and i guess just to to finish up on the the 21s um running through their squad was there any players in particular you felt was worth mentioning yeah there's there's a bunch um so i'm quite intrigued by center back george johnston who plays for liverpool it's obviously another kind of elite club, so that sticks um, out. But I read a wee bit of detail about him, and it seems as though he's pretty highly regarded there. He, he um, came on for a kind of pre-season friendly um, during last summer. It'd be interesting to see how he performs in these games, if he plays, but also watch perhaps for next season. Um, he could potentially be somebody that is in need of some club minutes and, and maybe an SPFL team. Somebody at the foot of the Premiership or in the Championship or something could look to... Um, step in for him um, then uh, obviously there's quite a large Motherwell contingent and I guess one of the guys I'm, I'm most impressed by there is David Turnbull um, he's had a kind of real streak of goals for the club lately um, so excited to see how he does in midfield um, the the wings 
looked pretty promising for the under twenty one. So yep. I think we have a, a question maybe for after this about um, a kind of identity or way of playing throughout all yep. the levels for Scotland. Um, I, I, w- I won't answer that now, but what I would say is that part of what you maybe should be considering is the actual players that you have available to you at the time. So given in this under-21 squad, you've got Mikey Johnston, you've got Jake Hasty, you've got Conor McLennan, who leads the Scottish Premiership for successful dribbles per 90 in the league this season. That's pretty exciting, people yep. to have out in wide positions. And even better, the kind of two main centre-forwards, I guess, um, Fraser Hornby, who is a giant of a guy that plays for, well, is signed to Everton, and Ollie Shaw, they, they could be people that might well thrive on, on having wingers, you know, supplying them. So that's kind of um, pretty yeah. good up front. Yeah, and Fraser Hornby's also got great hair, which you failed to mention. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, essential. Keep your eye out. Watch, watch the games for that alone. It's got yeah. lovely long locks. My concern, though, if, if we're... We're saying about the wings and up front being pretty good. Um, I have a wee bit of concern about defence for that age group, given that Bates, I guess, has now graduated to the senior levels and Ryan Portis has obviously had a, a terrible injury that's kind of ended the season. So a little bit of doubt in that squad yeah. about the, the quality in, in defence at the moment, maybe. Yeah, I'd agree. I think... Um, I was or at least at... the experience as well, I guess, you know. Yeah, so I, when I was looking at this squad, I looked at um, so Ross McCrory and Calvin Miller were the two names that sort of stuck out uh, in terms of defenders at the back, and and neither of those are natural defenders for their parent clubs. Um, so uh, Miller's you know better further forwards, but was sort of shoehorned in at left back, and Ross McCrory's a he, he's com, uh, competent at centre back, but he's a a holding mid by all accounts for Rangers now. Um, I guess the saving grace when I looked at this as well was uh, I thought the two keepers um, for look good, look like they've got you know some good potential. Uh, Doing leads the Ross Doing leads the championship in clean sheets for Air United, and he's on loan from Celtic. Um, Robbie McCrory, who's now at Greenock Morton, um, he's played seven games for them, and he's kept three clean sheets um, for a team that was you know struggling, um, and I think he's highly thought of at Rangers as well. Um, I managed to watch the the highlights of the Scotland versus Holland under twenty ones earlier on um, okay. from, from a, a while back, but uh, McCrory really stood out in that game for the some of the saves that he made. He, I think um, you know the two of those they could be. You were speaking about the guys uh, Craig at Spurs, so there's nothing to say that the two McCrories couldn't do it for the the national team and uh, the club, I guess. Um, so I guess what the, one of the questions that you were just referring to there what actually came in from Chris Sampson at Sports Market in Scotland. If you don't follow Chris on Twitter, um, you can find him uh, at Sports Market Sco, S-C-O. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris asked about uh, how do you feel about uh, an identity through all the age groups and what would that look like? Okay. Well, I, I, again, as I kind of touched on, I think that you need to consider the players that are available to you. And I guess with what you said about um, the Scotland versus the Netherlands under-21 game, um, that that's quite a good um, place to start. I watched that game and I would say the most impressive thing, so Fraser Hornby got two goals and yeah. um, there was some good wing play, I, I guess, from, from some of the guys. Uh, Gilmore played and well, came on at least, uh, sorry, um, came on and 
Mikey Johnston was the person who played. But the most impressive thing about that game for me was this kind of Bermuda triangle of defence with David Bates and Ryan Portis at centre-back and Ross McCrory right in front of them as defensive midfielder. And they were just kind of bodying anything that came into their kind of zone. So um, I I would say that... um, that that speaks a little to how I feel about this. That um, in terms of having an identity or way of playing that stretches through your age groups, um, I would say not to have a formation or a style that's dictated per age group because you have to make that a little bit player, um, game and coach dependent. So depending on what players you have um, coming through and, and their kind of style, um depending on the specific game and how you want to approach that and depending on what particular coach um, likes to do, you might want to approach that differently. I mean, what what if, for instance, just as a kind of uh, curveball suggestion, what if at under-17 level we had suddenly um, two of the best centre-forwards we've ever had, but you decided that we were going to play 4-3-3 and, and therefore you, you couldn't pick those two guys together, but they were playing for a club... Um, and at that level, they played together and they were perfect kind of tandem duo strikers. Or what if you had um, some, you know, a coach that was really, really high regarded, quite young, and, and he had a, a new style of playing that was really effective. Um, but suddenly he was told that, you know, you couldn't use that style because there was a Scotland style. So I'm not entirely sure that you'd want to be so prescriptive in terms of things like that. But that's not to say that you couldn't have things that are consistent throughout the age groups. So um, for, for me, um, I guess you could have some values, you know, in terms of how, how you want to um, approach things um, that would be, you know, consistent throughout the age groups. Um, maybe don't take those values from Malky Mackay. Um, you could have a, a kind of clear and consistent path. So there, there might be times that players have to go up or down a level, um, maybe for specific tournaments. You want to have a, a Billy Gilmore there who, you know, last summer he was in a team of the tournament, at a Toulon tournament, but he is now just 17. But in general, maybe you'd want to have a kind of set kind of development so people go through each group on the way. Um, you might want to think very seriously about how you foster a kind of sense of togetherness for the players, particularly given this sort of tug-of-war situation we might be experiencing with England for some players. So you might you might want to see how you can really have an identity that's something off the field um, yeah, to kind true. of get these players together, make sure they have a really good experience as a group and, and kind of forge that so that as the groups come together, there's already that kind of club-style bond from the players Rather, and I know that's difficult to manage because different people will make the step up, different people will not, other people will come in at a later age and stuff. But if you had some way to to kind of make that kind of club feel, um, I think that could be really positive for um, cohesion um, of the players on the pitch. But also that could be a really positive thing for the fans. So the other thing I think that you might want to think as a form of identity is think about how you get the fans interested make it as easy as possible to watch these games, whether that's on some sort of streaming service. I mean, I know we've had games on Facebook and things of that sort and Twitter in the past. Can we make that a really big thing? Um, Can we make it really easy to see the games, to go to the games if they are in, you know, Scotland? All these kind of things. So that way you forge an identity between the fans and the players from a really young age. um, And that hopefully will translate to dealing with our problems in terms of support for the, the senior men's national team, which is badly supported in terms of attendance at our own games. 
Um, Spot on. I think what you just said there was, you know, I, I, you'll struggle to find a better uh, summation of, uh, of the, you know, creating an identity at a national level. I think what you've said there's, I really can't, uh, actually blown away a little bit about how good that was. Okay, um, well, um, but we could also just play 4-3-3 or something or, yeah. <laughs> or just uh, co- copy, copy Celtic for now. The Brendan Rodgers um, imprint lives on. Uh, <laughs> he who shall not be named. Yeah. Did we yeah, have uh, any other, or do you have any other takes on, do you want to give your kind of take in terms uh, of those things, Gavin? Yeah. Uh, what, one thing that I thought um, you mentioned there that was was really good. There was uh, first of one negative thing that so when I was watching the highlights of the national team and this is this means nothing in terms of the identity, but this is it pissed me off. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching the highlights of the twenty ones and there was no commentary. Mm-hmm. So how can you expect people to get used to these players if that's, you don't even know who's got the ball? That's the best um, way of watching a game. <laughs> but but um, I absolutely love see the the SPFL highlights that are on Twitter and on YouTube. Where there's no commentary, but they still have the noise of the crowd. That's my favourite way to watch football. Really? But but hey, I I absolutely hate commentators. If you could have a commentator that just said the names of the players, maybe. But I guess what you want to get to is a point where the fans love the players so much that they know who they are that's... from seeing them. <laughs> but... yeah, I I guess, but we're not at that stage. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's a, a sl- slight side note, but um, sure. I guess. It's hard to, to to look at things as well because obviously you've got things a national identity for a younger player. What if the club has their own identity that player's trying to sure. embed in yeah. that you know that clashes with the, the exactly. national identity. So we can't overload these players in terms of you know what we expect them to take in, especially in a, a short period of time. Um, so I think you know like you're speaking there about the culture piece. I think that's maybe a, a better win um, than trying to you know embed some sort of tactical philosophy for someone you've got for two weeks max um yeah i agree with that yeah um any other did we have any listeners questions that we uh, haven't touched uh, on yet yeah there was there was there was one final one but i can't remember who it was that said it so apologies That's okay. um it was out of the 21 squad mm. what players do you see most capable of making the step up to the main team okay that's a good question um do you want to take that one first Kevin? Yeah, there's there was a couple of names that stood out for me, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to go first of all is Lewis Ferguson from Aberdeen. Um, I think that his tenacity uh, and his play, um, and the way that he's developed in the last twelve months um, has been excellent. And to me, I feel like you know it is a position of strength for us, um, but I can see Ferguson, you know, making that step up just with the the way that he's developed. Mm-hmm. Um, Ross McCrory is obviously doing, you know, really good things at Rangers, um, and I, I'm still not really sure on on what his career will be at Rangers. Whether he's going to continue to be a, a holding mid, or whether Gerrard's going to give in to um, pushing him back to centre back, or before he even broke into the first team, he was Full actually back. a right back. Yeah. yeah. So um, this this kid's going through lots of different, you know. Uh, learning in terms of you know positional stuff, well, so it gives him once, lo- lots of opportunity to get in the, the Scotland national senior team where, yeah. wherever there's an injury, maybe he can yeah, step exactly. in. And I guess exactly. on that note, my, my take on that question would be: you probably have to consider um, the gaps in the Scotland senior squads when you're going to answer that for somebody to make their way up. Sure. Um, so I guess um, maybe Ollie Shaw. Um, he, he's done some relatively impressive things this season I would say for his age um, for, for Hibs and given that it's an area that we're increasingly running into trouble in terms of uh, people 
being unavailable or, or people being injured, which you know is a, a matter of life in football for people once they're a particular age, such as Naismith and, and Fletcher. Um, so yeah, there, there could be a hole, I would say, potentially for, for a forward to come through. Um, I think if we're going to continue with like a 4-2-3-1 where we definitely have... Um, like three attacking midfielders, a couple of them wide, then you you would say that if Mikey Johnson can can you know continue to get minutes for Celtic next season, might or or go somewhere on loan and get loads of minutes, then might be a chance for him to come through. Um, and uh, I would say that if Ryan Porteous um gets back and healthy next season, if he can have a good season, um, I, I see a good future for him. Yeah, I think. There's something about Porus. I like the edge to mm, his game. Yeah. Um, so I think he he's got the right sort of characteristics. Um, so yeah, I think the only other player worth of maybe a, a, an honourable mention is obviously the hype around Billy Gilmore. Sure. Um, who knows what his ceiling is? Yeah. Uh, well, you've said that you've already moved on to him from Ollie Burke. Um, that's, that's the kind of <laughs> your golden child. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how. Gilmer does, having made the step down to um, under-19s level, you would hope that he can uh, dominate for, for Scotland at, at that age group, his more normal age group. And um, again, it would be interesting to see what will happen for him next season. Um, we know that Chelsea have basically got half the world's population on loan at various other clubs. Um, there's no way that he can get senior uh, league minutes next season for them. So maybe there's a, a loan in there. It might be a, a bit much to consider him coming back to Rangers for that. I, I don't know how the relationship is there given the, the you know the way it was left. But maybe some other club up in Scotland might have a look and see if they can get hold of him. What do you think? Do you th- um, I'm, I've honestly no, no idea. The thing about Chelsea, that obviously they're under this transfer embargo and uh, I know that Gilmore's already went through the ranks and is now playing with the Chelsea 21s. Um, where it, you know he's an age group ahead of where they expected him to be, and he's scoring for the twenty ones, um, playing well. So you know there's nothing to say that this, uh, by no means is he going to be a starter for, for for Chelsea. But there's nothing to say that he can't start getting these cameo appearances in like the the Carabao Cup or whatever um, to see how he develops. So who knows? Like like uh, I already said, he's. He's the golden yeah. child. Move over, Ollie Burke. Um, <laughs> so uh, it'll be really interesting to see how the Scotland squad comes out tomorrow. I look forward to being completely wrong with all my <laughs> shouts for the starting eleven. Um, yeah, and we're stuck with a team full of Christoph Beras and hoof the balls. So okay, so we'll, um, we'll we'll leave it there for this week. I think then, given um, but this was our episode all about the Scotland kind of national team. If you'd like to, you can um, subscribe and, and review and. Uh, leave us a rating on whatever podcast service you use and uh, please do follow us and you can find Gavin on, on Twitter at the Pure Football account or, or me at Owen James Brown on Twitter and um, worthwhile to follow all of the people who've, you know, questions we've answered um, this week as well. Thanks very much for listening.